the summer of 2018, Dr. Julie Mack was just sitting down at her home computer after a long day at work when she noticed an email from a father in Texas. Dr. Mack, I apologize for reaching out through what I assume is a personal email address. To summarize, our son Mason, six months old, suffered a fall onto concrete, causing a fracture. He is healing beautifully with no permanent damage. She read on. But CPS has removed him and our daughter, Charlotte, from our home and placed them with my mother during our investigation. Now, their reasoning was that the CT specialist found a second fracture that is currently unexplained. What we desperately need is a secondary review of the imaging by a medical professional. Please let me know how we can move forward with you. Thank you again for your time. I greatly appreciate it. All the best, Michael Dillon Bright. She sent a reply that evening. Dear Mr. Bright, I'm sorry to hear what you are going through. Do you have the imaging discs and reports? Julie. She closed her computer and headed to bed. Emails like Dylan's weren't unusual for Dr. Mack. A Harvard-trained radiologist, she has reviewed hundreds of cases of suspected child abuse. It's something she does in her spare time, never for money. I, I don't volunteer at food banks, but I do volunteer my time for this. I, I have to limit it just because I have a job and uh, a family, but I, I do think it's important work. Over the years, she's noticed a recurring problem. It seems to her that CPS investigators often jumped to conclusions after getting a report from a child abuse pediatrician, confusing reasonable suspicion with proof of wrongdoing. I think in, particularly when assumptions are made that aren't warranted, I think that there's a real, real significant chance that an injustice will occur. When Dr. Mack opened up Mason's medical records, she found problems right away. For one, Mason had been diagnosed with a bleeding disorder while he was still at Texas Children's Hospital, which may have explained why he'd had so much bleeding around his brain after a short fall onto concrete. But the hospital child abuse team never followed up to tell CPS about the condition. As for that second skull fracture, the one that child abuse pediatricians said couldn't have come from a fall in the driveway? That second fracture was hairline, it was very small, through a very thinned area. Texas Children's doctors told the agency Melissa's story couldn't possibly explain all of Mason's injuries. But according to Dr. Mack, the science said otherwise. I said, look, it's on the same side. It's in the same plane. You can get more than one fracture from a single impact. And that has been reported by multiple authors. Dr. Mack began writing a report, one with a very different conclusion about what could have happened to Mason. I wasn't there. I can't tell you how he fell, where he fell, or whether it wasn't a fall or somebody hit him on the head. Nobody can. But what I can say is the story made perfect sense for what I was seeing. On September 5th, 2018, about a week after the Brights ended their agreement with CPS and brought their children home, Dr. Mack emailed Dylan with a copy of her four-page report. Dylan opened it right away. In summary... There is nothing about the CT findings in this case that contradict the mother's statement that Mason suffered a fall on concrete that resulted in bleeding around the brain and skull fractures. Dylan was elated. He forwarded a copy of Dr. Mack's report to LeVar Jones, the CPS investigator. This had to be actionable. This had to be, you know, something that would absolutely change the course of their investigation. Except that course had already been set. And there was nothing that Dr. Mack or the Brights, or anyone else could do to stop it. Whoa, Memorial Day! 
Well, that means summer is here, and if you're struggling to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so of every day, dedicated to my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake, and then I go crush a workout from one of the 120 programs on the Body app and just follow along day by day. So here's my special offer to you. Because it's Memorial Day and I want you to get started now, the next 5,000 new subscribers who sign up for six months get the next six months free. That's full access to over 120 programs. So don't wait. See how fast the pounds can really come off. And if they don't, you can get your money back, no questions asked. Just go to body.com to buy six months and get the next six free. That's B-O-D-I dot Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. My two hands alone can't hold you back from harm. From NBC News and Wondery, I'm Mike Hicksonbaugh, and this is Do No Harm. This is episode three, Immediate Danger. With their kids back at home, the Brights began slipping back into their normal routines. After weeks out of the office for Mason's hospital visits, Dylan was finally catching up at work, and Melissa signed up to volunteer at the kids' preschool program. We got to enjoy the simplicities of life again, and I think that in those simple moments are when Dylan and I finally got to start healing from it all. I was going to work and coming home and having dinners of family. And, and so it was just getting back to being a family again and, and kind of putting everything that had happened behind us. They figured CPS had moved on too. Then, on the morning of September 18th, 21 days after Dylan had called LeVar to tell him they were bringing their kids home, and more than a week after he'd emailed him a copy of Dr. Mack's report, LeVar sent Melissa a text She was in her car, sitting in a parking lot outside of Hobby Lobby with her mom and the kids, when she noticed the message. She read it out loud. Good morning. How is Mason? After more than three weeks and no contact, the message surprised her. And I'm like, you know, what what, what should I text back? I want to make sure that they know everything, you know. And so I sent a novel of a text message updating them on Mason's well-being. And I sent him some adorable photos I had taken of Mason that day or the day before, so that way he could see how well he was and how he was thriving. LeVar responded right away. He looks really good. In that same message, he said he needed to follow up with them. LeVar asked if he could come by the next day. Melissa texted back to say that would be fine. She called Dylan and filled him in. She was nervous. 
Dylan didn't see any reason to worry. I thought that he had gotten my messages about the second opinion and that he had just finally cycled back around to checking in on our case. And so I assumed that he was going to come and, and see the kids and see that everything was okay. The Brights figured LeVar just needed to see the children one more time, safe and at home, before closing out the case. Finally, they thought, their ordeal would be over. But at CPS's offices that afternoon, a much different chain of events had been set in motion. One that CPS was keeping a secret from the Brights. Around 4.45 that afternoon, six hours after he texted Melissa, LeVar sent a message to his supervisor, Naisha Edwards. Is the affidavit for Jess Mason or Charlotte also? We can add Charlotte because she's in the home. A few minutes later, he had another question. Why were they doing this again? Naisha texted back. Due to the child's continuous visits to the hospital and the extensive injuries, and there being no explanation for the injuries. Later that same night, at around 8.30, Naisha sent a final text. Good job on the affidavit. Please report to legal first thing. I reached out to LeVar, Naisha, and other CPS officials to ask about their handling of the Bright case, but they declined to be interviewed. Across town, in Tomball, Melissa was just getting the kids down to bed, like they did each night. Melissa read to Charlotte, Brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? While nursing Mason in a rocking chair. Afterward, she lay each of them down in their beds, kissed their heads, and whispered the same prayer she's repeated every night since they were born. Thank you, Jesus. Then she clicked off the lights. The next day, at the Harris County Juvenile Justice Center, Ryan Mitchell had just stepped off an elevator when one of the court coordinators flagged him down. Hey, do you have time for another case? I say, yes, ma'am. They hand me the removal affidavit, and she tells me we're ready to get started on it. Ryan, a former prosecutor with slicked hair and a neatly trimmed beard, now mostly handles CPS cases. He grabbed the new case file and carried it into a small room with a conference table, a space where lawyers can regroup with clients after hearings. Or in this case, to try and speed read a CPS document before walking into court. Ryan reads two or three of these kinds of cases every month. He's one of about 100 names on a list of court-appointed lawyers who could be tapped at a moment's notice to represent parents accused of abuse. Stamped across the top of this document, in all caps, it read, In the interest of Charlotte Bright, Mason Bright, children. As Ryan scanned the page, four words jumped out at him. Immediate and continuing danger. Dylan and Melissa, the parents in the case, were nowhere to be seen. That wasn't unusual. It was still Ryan's job to represent them, or specifically, Dylan Bright. Another lawyer was on hand to defend Melissa. He'd never met Dylan. But now, Ryan was going to have to come up with a reason why Dylan should keep his kids. So the first things first, I asked for just a little bit of time to be able to just, you know, introduce myself to the caseworker, kind of figure out what's going on before I even have an idea of when we're going to have this case heard. Ryan approached LeVar Jones in the hallway and shook his hand. He'd handled cases with LeVar before and always thought of him as a nice guy. We step aside into one of the conference rooms and I just start asking general questions that I ask every caseworker when I'm first put on a case. I learned that I represent the father in this case, so I start asking questions first, is he here? And he said, no, I talked to dad, he's not coming down. 
But LeVar hadn't talked to Dylan, and the Brights had no idea the hearing was happening. A few minutes later, the court coordinator flagged them down. The judge was ready to start. Ryan hadn't even had time to finish reading the paperwork. So, yes, it does seem unusual that an attorney has just given a document right away and said, hey, you know, basically being slapped on the butt and said, hey, go in front of the judge and do your thing. The way the law is written, they don't even have to give the opportunity for essentially that testimony. The goal? To give CPS the freedom to move quickly when the agency believes a child is in serious danger. Unlike a criminal case, CPS doesn't have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that children have been abused. It just has to convince a judge the kids are more likely than not in danger. The lawyers filed into Harris County's 315th Juvenile District Court. The room was mostly empty. The county attorney representing CPS called LeVar to the stand. He raised his right hand and swore to tell the truth. He explained that CPS was seeking emergency custody of Charlotte and Mason Bright because the baby suffered serious and unexplained injuries. LeVar described the two skull fractures, the bleeding around his brain, and the conclusion by Texas Children's Hospital doctors that those injuries didn't appear to match the story of a shortfall in a driveway. He didn't mention the second medical opinion Dylan had sent him. Then, the county attorney asked the only question that really mattered. Do you believe there's an immediate threat to the health and safety of the child at this time? At this time, I would say yes. As Ryan listened to LeVar describe the case, some details weren't adding up. If CPS believed Charlotte and Mason's parents were dangerous, why had LeVar waited three weeks to seek an emergency removal? Where was the immediate danger? That was the red flag for us. But when Ryan asked the question, why seek the removal now? LeVar had an answer. He'd only learned for certain the children were back home when he texted Melissa for an update the day before. Okay, Ryan thought. But then, why hadn't he checked on the kids in three weeks? I mean, I know this caseworker, nice guy. It just, when he kept circling around answers, it just, he was making eye contact, but he was a very monotone expression. Either this caseworker doesn't know what they're doing, or there's something the caseworker is not telling us. But the judge had already heard everything he needed to hear. The hearing lasted about half an hour. Later that afternoon, LeVar was in his car and heading north along I-45. When he got close, he texted Naisha, his supervisor. Just an update. I'm waiting on law enforcement to meet me at the residence. I'm in the area. Around that same time, Dylan was wrapping up his workday. Melissa was in the kitchen, making an extra-large batch of spaghetti, enough to share with a friend who just had a new baby. The kids were watching cartoons. It was the start of the hardest night of their lives. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay on top of mind, and see big results. Fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. 
So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Don't waste time on apps that don't work. Babbel's conversation-based teaching prepares you for real-life situations. And studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash truecrime. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash truecrime, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash truecrime. Rules and restrictions may apply. Dylan and Melissa didn't understand what was taking LeVar so long. He'd said he would come by around 5 p.m. on September 19th, but two hours later, they still hadn't heard from him. They'd held off on eating dinner, hoping to enjoy their spaghetti once CPS was officially out of their lives. And finally, it's getting bedtime, which was 7, for Mason. And I texted him, and I'm like, okay, LeVar, well, if you want to see Mason, you got to make it soon. Finally, at 7.30, LeVar called Dylan and asked him to stand outside, to come outside. And so, eagerly, Dylan got up, and he went outside as if he was just going to flag him down. Melissa held Mason and watched out the window as LeVar pulled up and stepped out of his car. The sun had begun to set casting long shadows across the front yard as the two men started talking. She could tell right away, from Dylan's body language, something was wrong. He was jabbing his finger in the air as he talked. Dylan is very emotive with his hands, especially when he gets worked up. Something was going on. There was something more than just inviting him over. A moment later, Dylan and LeVar came in through the front door. Dylan walks inside. The first thing he says is, they got a court order to take the kids. Melissa was stunned. And it, I mean, like, it struck me like a wrecking ball. I was like, what does that even mean? Why? How? When? For what reason? The words didn't even sound like English. It had been no communication, no anything for three weeks. We didn't, and, and then all of a sudden he shows up and he, has a, he says he has a court order to take the kids. It doesn't make any sense how he possibly could have pulled that off. How was that even legal? Dylan grabbed his recorder and set it on the kitchen counter. Okay, it is 7.30 and September 19th, and our meeting with LeVar, we've just been told that now they had an emergency hearing and they have temporary receivership or whatever, so. LeVar cut to the chase. I mean, like I say, we have temporary managing conservatorship. That means we have temporary custody, the state of Texas. Because, number one, the PCSP was violated. No, no, no. That's, but that's, that's, that's the... LeVar said he didn't have a choice. Mason had unexplained injuries. And the Brights had brought the kids home in violation of the safety plan. What about the report from the radiologist, Dr. Mack? Dylan asked, 
I'm not saying we, we have decisions being made that are serious decisions, but you're doing so on like 50% of the, you say, I have all I need. I'm telling you that a proper investigation would have had all the reports. It bothers me but, that but, you don't but, have. But, but, the, but Dylan, it's at, at still, right. So this doctor, the, the Julie Matt, mm -hmm. right? Again, you Why guys not? have this from a, a second opinion, right? We, at the end of the day, we still have what we have from Texas Children's Hospital. Melissa's hands shook as she talked. She reminded LeVar how Mason had been up crying all night for weeks while separated from his mother, hindering his recovery. She reminded him how they'd spent days living out of a truck after Mason had undergone surgery. But CPS kept delaying. That's why they had brought the kids home. You were no longer considering our child's best interest. Yes. You broke the safety plan. I had no choice. I had no choice. What kind of mother would I be if I allowed you to put my son in further harm's way? What kind of mother would that make me? That is on you. Okay, calm, calm down. No, it's my children. I can't calm down. I'm, I'm not. We, we, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Why you didn't do anything. Okay. That's, I, that's your opinion. No, no, no. I, no, I, want, you be, I want you to be honest okay. and, and look at the timeline of events. And you, and you tell okay. me, did so, you work so, diligently? Okay. Like, <laughs> like, like I said, guys, um, court is October third at 1200. And so we can't see our children until then. So, my yes, breastfed son. We, you are taking him from my breast, Melissa. You are responsible for taking my child away from my breast, Melissa. Sorry. I, at that moment, a Harris County Sheriff's deputy arrived at the front door, the law enforcement backup that LeVar had been waiting for. While the deputy reviewed the court order, Dylan and Melissa pleaded their case to him. CPS had known for more than three weeks that Charlotte and Mason were home. So what was the emergency now? And why hadn't they been notified about the court hearing that morning? They could have told their side of the story. It's a court order removal of the children. There's no way they can go around. No, right, but, but is the, the court based on what grounds? I, that I cannot answer. Why weren't we notified that there was an emergency court hearing? Why About the emergency? Well, for for one, the this 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 chronomness, um, I, I figured it would be you know, combative. I, I knew it was going to be it's this chronomness. That's why CPS hadn't told the Brights the agency was going to court seeking an emergency order to take their children. LeVar said he figured it would be combative. What grounds sure was this emergency uh, hearing? Uh, uh, again, sir, um, the hearing is October 3rd. I've, I've already explained the reason for the emergency. Well, I'm just That's when the reality of the situation began to set in for Melissa. Her children were going away. She didn't know where or for how long and she was powerless to stop it. There was nothing they could do. Charlotte, the two-year-old, could tell something was wrong. She tried to comfort her mom. Mommy! I'm happy, Mommy! I'm happy! I'm happy, Mommy, Charlotte said. I'm happy. Melissa crouched down on the floor. Thank you so much, baby girl. <laughs> you were so beautiful, Charlotte. You're happy. 
we are happy. The toddler kept saying it over and over, as if willing it to be true. And as much as I love that child, there wasn't a hug in the world that was going to make what was about to happen not happen. And so she, you know, she's trying to comfort me and it's not working and she doesn't understand why. But at the same time, I want her to hug me and not let go for the rest of eternity because I don't know when I'll hug her again. And I just wanted to hold on. But time was running out. They had been arguing with LeVar for more than an hour. He had a court order, and there was no way around that. It was time to pack the children's bags. And so went upstairs and I got one suitcase and I put in, you know, several clothes, items for both of them, outfits and pajamas, lots of pajamas and socks and diapers, diapers for both of them. Melissa grabbed their favorite stuffed animals, an elephant for Mason, giraffe the stuffed giraffe for Charlotte. And I um, made sure that they had bottles and thankfully we had formula for Mason, a container of formula, so I could put that in the bag. Downstairs, Dylan wrote out instructions for the strangers who would be caring for their children. Mason needed to sleep on a slight incline to ensure fluid did not build up in his head. Charlotte had a severe dairy allergy and could not eat or drink any milk products whatsoever. At the bottom of the page, I didn't know what else I could do, so I just wrote to tell them that we love them. And we handed this paper to LeVar and this bag packed full of anything we could possibly think of that our kids would need. Now, it was time to take the children out to the car. Melissa collapsed on the floor. Dylan picked up his daughter and carried her out to LeVar's car. Melissa trailed behind them with Mason. That's when Charlotte started to scream and kick. Dylan had to force her down into the seat to buckle her in. That moment was the hardest moment for me because my, my little girl is crying and screaming because I'm, I'm putting her into a car seat that's not mommy's car. She knows it's not mommy's car. And I kept telling her that, you know, baby, it's gonna be okay, you're, you're gonna go. Uh, you're going to see some friends. You know, you're going to go spend the night with some friends. It'll be okay. She kept trying to say, you know, Daddy, Daddy, I don't want to go. I, I want to stay here. I want to go back to my room. I want to go back to my room. Dylan kissed his daughter on the head. He told her he loved her and that he would see her soon. Then he shut the car door. The moment I closed the door, man, that the screaming was just so intense. Dylan went and stood with Melissa in the front yard and waited. LeVar and the deputy stood at the front of their car, talking for several minutes as Charlotte's cries grew louder. Uh, you could just hear her screaming through the car. Finally, I just got to a point where I was just so bad. I'm like, could you go? Could you get in the car? You're just, just standing here and you're making it way worse on her. Finally, LeVar got into his car. He started the engine, flicked on the headlights. Dylan and Melissa held each other in the front yard, watching them pull away. As the car turned the corner, Charlotte's muffled screams faded to silence.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. You hear that? That's the sound of another sale with Shopify, your go-to for selling everywhere, online, in-store, and even on social media. Shopify POS is like the central hub for your retail operation. From payments to inventory, it's all there. Got different gadgets? No worries. Shopify's hardware is adaptable, fitting in just how you do business. Start transforming your retail business with an incredible offer. A trial for just $1 per month at shopify.com slash Wondery. All lowercase. That's shopify.com slash Wondery. Take the leap and upgrade your point-of-sale solution with Shopify. Visit shopify.com slash Wondery and start your trial today. Back inside, the Brights looked around their empty house. Signs of their children were all around them. Framed photos on the wall. Toys scattered on the living room floor. A plastic sippy cup turned on its side on the kitchen counter. But the children? They were gone. It's hard to explain how quiet a house is without your kids in it. And I know that's something that parents take as a, as a break and something they look forward to, but... It's one thing when you know they're going to be coming back and that noise will be filled again and then not knowing if they'll ever be noise again. And it was suffocating. And so just the gravity of, of, of the whole situation kind of hits you in that moment and it's and it, 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 it's everything you can do to keep your knees from buckling. And, and, and the only reason I was even able to keep it together myself was because of, of just how broken Melissa was at that point. And, and so I, I couldn't do anything for my kids, so at least the one thing I could do was keep it together enough for my wife. The sheriff's deputy followed them inside just to make sure they were okay. It was after 11 p.m. by the time he left. Dylan and Melissa headed upstairs and grabbed their laptops. And for the next several hours, they sat up in bed, searching for answers. What were their rights? Who should they call? There's no way that this just happened to us and that it was right. There's no way that this was legal. So we we spent maybe the next two or three hours, you know, Melissa, trying to put a plan together and what lawyers we could call, who we could reach out to. No, 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 there was no, there was, there was no sleep. There are moments where I'm distracted just long enough with a task, like researching some attorneys to stop the crying. Um, and then I realize why I'm looking for an attorney and it just floods back in. I felt this need that I needed to nurse Mason and there was no Mason to nurse and I just couldn't cry anymore. Eventually, Melissa closed her computer. She walked down the hall to Mason's room. She curled up on the floor in his empty nursery, alone in the dark, praying that her babies were safe. I felt more weak and exhausted than I have ever felt in my life. There was no, there was no even energy to feel sad at that point. It was just all gone. The next morning, before sunrise, Melissa contacted the one person who she knew would understand what she was going through, a woman named Anne Marie Timmerman. One of Melissa's friends from church had connected her with Anne Marie weeks earlier, when CPS first opened its investigation. Anne-Marie had been through something similar in 2016. CPS had taken custody of her baby, Tristan, for several months. A child abuse pediatrician told CPS he'd been abused, an opinion later refuted by several medical experts. 
Anne-Marie noticed the text from Melissa as soon as she woke up. And I remember reading the text, and the first one said, Anne-Marie, CPS took the kids. And at that moment, I fell to my knees. I cried with her. I, I, I cried. But then I became strength, and I told her, I said, Melissa, we're going to get through this. We're going to get Dennis Slate involved, and he's going to bring your babies home. Dennis Slate, the lawyer who'd helped Anne-Marie with her CPS case. The moment Anne-Marie got off the phone, she called him on his cell. I was sitting in my kitchen, kind of looking out the big window, drinking a cup of coffee, kind of collecting my thoughts. I had a very busy day planned. I was going to be in a big hearing that morning, and I was thinking about the hearing and what I needed to do. A former officer in the Army Reserves, Dennis had carved out a niche defending parents against CPS accusations. Often, there was more work than he could keep up with. This was one of those days. All of a sudden, my phone rings, and it's about 6.30 in the morning. And I look over, and it's Anne-Marie. There are times when, when you're wanting to talk to Anne-Marie, and there are times when you, you don't, because you know an Anne-Marie conversation is going to be very long and intense. But it wasn't normal for her to call so early. So he picked up. I said, hello, Anne-Marie, what's going on? Uh, and she kind of is in a panic state. And she said, um, I need you to talk to my friend, Melissa Bright. I told Dennis about CPS showing up, about the Brights not knowing, about the court order. And I explained to Dennis the emotional turmoil that Melissa was going through and how important it was to me. She begged Dennis to look at their case. Dennis said, fine. But there was no way he could do it that day. He would try to fit the Brights in sometime over the next few days, once his schedule wasn't so packed. Anne-Marie is probably the most persistent person I've ever met in my entire life. I was not going to get off the phone with him until I felt like he was going to look at it that day. I mean, if you know Anne-Marie, you know that if you tell her no, she's just going to keep at you until you say yes. And so it doesn't really help to fight it. He told Anne-Marie to have Melissa call his office and that he would do his best to fit them in. That afternoon, Dylan and Melissa gathered all of their files. Documents CPS had shared, Mason's medical records, the second opinion from Dr. Mack. They loaded the files into Dylan's truck and began the hour-long drive to Dennis's office. They didn't talk much during the ride. They were both exhausted and lost in their own thoughts. And that was a very, a very tense drive because it's the first time in, say, the past 24 hours that we had any kind of semblance of hope. Melissa thought about the kids. She wondered where they were and if they were safe. You just always wonder, you know, is your kid eating okay? Are they getting attention? Are they getting love? Are they scared? Are they hurt? Are they harmed? As they drove, Dylan silently ran through all the things he wanted to tell the lawyer. About LaVar's failure to check on the kids for 22 days about the disregarded second medical opinion. Just knowing that there was a lawyer willing to stay late after office hours gave Dylan some relief. Maybe Dennis would actually listen to their story, consider all of the evidence. Maybe this would be a turning point. We finally had somebody on our team that was willing to put on some gloves and, and go fight CPS. What the Brights didn't know was 30 miles away in a different Houston suburb Another set of parents were also searching for help. 
On paper, the two CPS cases could not have been more similar. Two sets of parents, both fighting to save their families after having their two young children torn from their arms. Although they had never met, their paths were about to cross in ways they couldn't possibly have predicted. That's next time on Do No Harm. From NBC News and Wondery, this is episode three of six of Do No Harm, a story about innocent children and the adults who are supposed to keep them safe. The next episode will be out in a week, but listen to it right now, ad-free, by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Do No Harm was written, reported, and hosted by me, Mike Hicksonbaugh, a national investigative reporter for NBC News. Special thanks to my reporting partner, Carrie Blakinger, whose reporting made this podcast possible. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com slash survey. Associate producers are Chris Siegel and Allison Bailey. Story editor is Julie Shapiro. Additional production assistance from Daniel Gonzalez. Music supervisor, Scott Velazquez. Managing producer, Lata Pandya. Sound design by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced for NBC News by Steve Lichtai. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win two hundred million dollars. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. Nancy's love story could have been ripped right out of the pages of one of her own novels. She was a romance mystery writer who happens to be married to a chef. But this story didn't end with a happily ever after. When I stepped into the kitchen, I could see that Chef Brophy was on the ground and I heard somebody say, call 911. As writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? You can listen to Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
Enhance your listening experience with Wondry Plus. Enjoy ad-free listening, exclusive content, binges, and more. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts.